unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Thanks once again for listening. Glad to have you on board. Coming up on today's show, we'll talk to our friend Joe Finger. We're going to talk about what's happening in baseball or what's not happening in baseball. We'll delve into some baseball history and some unique baseball trivia. That'll be uh, coming up, and it's a whole lot of fun, so that's just ahead. Meanwhile, let's touch on a few other items in the sports world briefly. So NASCAR has now banned Confederate flags from their facilities and racetracks. A helmet maker who designs helmets for many NASCAR drivers had uh, put out some inflammatory tweets about that. So several drivers have cut ties with him after that particular tweet incident. Maybe to come up with a word for that, a tweet incident. The PGA Tour is back in action as they are playing live in Texas, actually as we speak. At the Colonial, the 2020 Charles Schwab Challenge. As I record this uh, for you at 10 a.m. on Friday morning, I need to turn this speaker off on the website there and mute. (laughs) Where is the leaderboard? Do you really care listening, you know, after the fact that who's leading when I record this. Never mind. <laughs> but anyway, golf is back. No fans. And skeleton broadcast crew. Jim Nance on the 18th Tower by himself. Nick Faldo, Ian Baker Finch, Frank Nabado, all back here in Orlando. I presume over at the Golf Channel Studios uh, doing that particular endeavor. And how about this, speaking of baseball, and before we get to our conversation with Joe Finger, and also, before I forget, we'll have a TV tune for you at the end of the show. It's the, We've made that a new segment of the program, so I forgot to mention that at the top. I've got all my notes right in order here, don't I? How about this? A family has found signed baseball cards, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, and Jimmy Fox. It was left to them by their uncle, and that has got to be a huge amount of money available for that. It's from a 1933 baseball set. Uh, New Jersey resident James Micchione died in March at age 97, and... The baseball memorabilia that he has left for them is Hall of Fame worthy. (laughs) That is an incredible, incredible find. And it is our pleasure to welcome back to the program a friend of the program, my former radio colleague, fellow baseball fan, Joe Finger. Joe, how are you? Jeff, I'm doing well, and I, I hope you're doing the same. Uh, these are certainly unusual times, aren't they? They definitely are, staying safe and well. And uh, last time you and I saw each other, uh, you know, I had Jay Cresswell on last week, and uh, he said uh, when we got together in Dunedin, um, we originally were going to see a spring training game, but it was shut yeah. down two days prior. Uh, so we had lunch at a, at a seafood place over there, and... Uh, and Jay says that was the last time he's been in a restaurant, and that's the same for me, too. <laughs> yeah, I, I could almost say that. My wife and I actually went back out this week for the first time since March. It was our wedding anniversary, so we rolled the dice and went out, and it, and it was fine. But, yeah, we've been hunkered down at home uh, like everybody else. And, you know, normally at this time of the year, we'd, I'd say, Jeff, let's take a look at those pennant races as we hit <laughs> – the mid-season mark and see how the teams are doing and i'm happy to report that the the twins are still in first place in the al central and uh, I, you could probably say the same thing about the braves right hey hey you know our teams are outstanding what can what what can you say <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness and this was going to be the season right everybody say well this is the season they were going to do so well yes um 
Yeah, so so let's let's chat about that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, the NBA has uh, return plans. The NHL has return plans. Major yeah. League Baseball still uh, bickering over money and how it's going <laughs> to unfold. Kind of drag it along here, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I, you know, like probably you and a lot of other fans, we just kind of follow this day to day and see what kind of progress they're making. Um, I know they're talking. Um, Last I heard, the um, you know the talks are continuing between the MLB and the uh, Major League uh, Players Association. They definitely have some differences to iron out. Uh, I know uh, the players have been pushing for maybe a season that would be uh, maybe 80, 89 games long and uh, would probably run into November. And I, I don't think uh, the the league officials are anywhere close to going along with that. So maybe they end up with something in between. Uh, but uh, at this point, uh, who could say? Yeah. And how do you think the aspect goes over? Because, you know, a lot of the, a lot of what is where they're disagreeing is how much money is going to be paid to the players. Oh, yeah. And in this time when so many people are jobless, that's really not what yeah. people want to hear. Yeah, one must examine the optics of that. Uh, you know, the union is really pushing for full salary, uh, and the uh, the league is is saying no. I think that the average Joe on the street is saying, "Come on!" I mean, really? Uh, we've got millions of people unemployed uh, here in Florida. Some still waiting for their first um, check from Florida's much troubled system, <laughs> and so the optics are not very good. And um, I personally can't imagine that any final agreement would be reached where the players would end up getting full full salary for what's certainly going to be less than a full season. Not to mention no revenue coming in because fans will not be a part of it initially. At least yeah. that's yeah. I think uh, Rob Manfred, the commissioner, said revenue is going to be down about uh, about seventy percent. Uh, would be his estimate at this point. So that's that's a huge that's a huge drop off. Yeah, and and it's uh, it's definitely in uh, tough times out there for a lot of people. You know, you think of all the people who work at the ballparks that uh, you know depend on some of those supplemental yeah, incomes and things yeah. like that. If there's no fans, there's not going to be any concessions. So there's there there's so many things that are in play that. Uh, uh, you know, and again, you know, they're also kind of looking at a short window because they don't want to go beyond October for fears of another uh, COVID-19 spike. And, you know, they need to exactly. have some time to ramp up. So at what point do you yeah. think they wave the yeah. flag and, and you know, do you think one, do you think they'll play or, or two, do you, you know, do they have to wave the white flag at some point? Well, I, if I had to guess, I think they are going to play. Uh, I think it may be. 50 to 60 games instead of 90. Um, but I would be surprised if they just said, oh, the heck with it, let's not play at all. But with each passing day, um, the number of games that they could play is diminished. So they're going to have to do something pretty quickly. Now, my understanding is that MLB uh, could make a unilateral decision on the number of games if an agreement is not reached soon. I think they have a an understanding a contract that was reached uh, in late March that would give the commissioner the power to impose something unilaterally. Don't think he wants to do that, but I, he sort of hinted like, well, you know, if we don't reach an agreement sometime soon, that's perhaps what it will boil down to. Yeah, and then I I think the other uh, things that we want to you know we we so badly want to see them play a baseball season, even if if it's a, a mere number of games. Uh, they would probably expand the playoffs. Do you think the team that would win the title in such a truncated season, it, you know, does it come with an asterisk? Does it come with some disrespect? You know, it's... <laughs> well, not if it's one of our teams, um, but <laughs> for anybody else, perhaps. Yeah, I think so. Um, at, at, at this point, you know, things are shrinking down to, I mean, if you end up playing less than even a half season, I think they're, has to be some historical context placed on that and that would probably be the asterisk but what it would still be nice for any team to win whatever type of season is out there but if but if you're only playing 50 or 60 games i, I think that's clearly a different type of season than a typical 162 
Yeah, and I mean, you could make the case from last year, you know, with the Washington Nationals at Memorial Day, we're 12 games under 500. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And, you know, baseball, it's always a long way to October, but this year it may be a rather short route at the way things are going. Yeah, it's about the size of an off-ramp, <laughs> so, <laughs> That's right. so to speak. Well, Although some of those new off-ramps on our own I-4, uh, the new <laughs> I-4 Ultimate, that, that's still a pretty... <laughs> Pretty long drive. Yeah, they yeah they're like kind of like jet runways, aren't they? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So um, obviously, in this country, besides the the coronavirus, uh, a lot of uh, discussion and a lot of uh, uh, protest and a lot of things going on as far as uh, racial inequities are concerned, uh, all due to the George Floyd death that has really kind of you know busted this thing wide open. Uh, to where we have a lot of protests and 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 lots of conversation going on about that, and uh, former Minnesota Twin Tory Hunter has uh, recently made some statements in relation to uh, experiences he had at Fenway Park. Uh, you know that uh, uh, definitely uh, are eye-opening and somewhat concerning. Yeah, well, you know, I think conversation is good, Jeff. I think we have to talk about this. And Tory's been making the rounds recently with some interviews and uh, revealed that he had a no-trade clause in his contracts with the teams for whom he played over the years, uh, principally Minnesota, and then, of course, toward the end of his career, California, and even a season in Detroit. A no-trade clause that would have prohibited his being traded to the Red Sox because of concerns he had about how African-American players had sometimes been treated at that ballpark. And he said he could probably recall a hundred times over the years where the N-word had been hurled at him at some point from the fans. Now, he was very quick to say that he did not think this had anything to do with the Red Sox as an organization or their players or even the Boston fan base as a whole, but that there certainly was a cohort group, probably a small group of fans there in Boston that made playing there uh, problematic. And uh, he's not the only one who's, who's had issues there. I think you may remember a couple of years ago, Adam Jones of the Orioles had mm-hmm. a run-in with, with some fans at Boston, or similar type of issues. And at that point, the Red Sox... Basically responded by saying, you know, we need to strengthen our policy at the ballpark to deal with fans who engage in any type of behavior that might be considered racist. And at that time, they urged any other fans to always alert security if they saw something like that. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the key. You know, it's 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 not just the unruly fan, but it's the people sitting around them who say nothing. Um and the only way to really fight that, I think, is for other fans to speak up. And, and I think that's why, you know, Tory's a very outspoken guy, mm-hmm. a very um, uh, beloved figure, not only in the Twins organization, but elsewhere. And so when he talks like that, I think people take uh, take notice of what he has to say. Yeah. And you are married to a Boston Red Sox fan. You've been to Fenway Park. Have you have you ever witnessed such type of activity? Well, we've we've been to a couple of games there over the years. I have never heard any. Um, uh, fans engage in what I would consider uh, racist behavior, but it is a, uh, a a tough a tough group at times. And in the last time we were there, there was an unruly fan sitting about two rows behind us who just kept getting more and more uh, belligerent during the game. And eventually, security came up and tossed him. And I, and I think the red what the Red Sox have done is say, look, uh, when you hear Tory Hunter. Uh, talk about his experience there badly we have to acknowledge that what he says is absolutely true Mm -hmm. Uh, the experience is very real and it's incumbent upon all of us to do what we can to uh, police that kind of behavior and and so i think the red sox are certainly have taken it seriously and are taking it seriously um and you know this this type of thing could happen anywhere jeff sure i mean this not to pick on boston because that that would not be quite accurate but uh it is a very real experience and we've we've heard other players in recent days say yep you know they run into similar types of situations be it at Fenway or elsewhere i know cc sabathia had had commented on um, some some of the things tory hunter was saying and and saying yep uh, absolutely hit the, the nail on the head with that one 
Yeah, and, and definitely we don't want to, you know, you can't paint the whole Red Sox fan base with that because obvi- obviously, the you know, you don't want the few to uh, to influence the, the many in that situation. Obviously, having a few people being that, that way and unruly is a few too many. But yeah. uh, nonetheless, if yeah. uh, if uh, if uh, stadiums and teams are going to be a little bit more uh, watchful of those types of things and trying to snuff those things out before they get out of hand, you know, that yeah, I think Hunter uh, Tory in one of the interviews said that uh, of all the many times he had heard racial epithets hurled his way, he said often it was from uh, from kids who were saying that kind of thing. With the grown-ups sitting right next to them, not saying a word. Oh goodness! And, and that, to me, is a, a big part of the problem, right there. Yeah, no, no question about it. And and again, hopefully, uh, the the words that he has spoken will uh, lead to uh, to more change and more uh, more openness yeah. about resolving yeah. this uh, type uh, of of situation. Yeah, I, I hope so. And, and of course, this is something you know, baseball is something of a microcosm of society. And the issue of racial inequity is not new. I mean, you know, we grew up, um, I'm a little bit older than you, Jeff, but we, you know, been in Orlando a while. I grew up here uh, and we went to games at Tinker Field back in the day. And an interesting article came out this week. Um, John Romano, a reporter for the Tampa Bay Times, came out with a nice piece talking about um, the experiences of some of the uh, uh, African-American players back in the early 60s at spring training sites throughout Florida. And at that time, almost every single club housed their players during spring training at segregated hotels. Mm. Uh, the, the white players stayed in one hotel and the black players stayed elsewhere. Uh, now, gradually, that practice ended and by about 1964, uh, all of the uh, hotel sites were uh, integrated. But here in Orlando, I, I did some research separately on this. And uh, Tinker Field, where we watched so many games of the Twins and the old Orlando Twins back in the day, uh, up until about 1962, the seating was actually uh, segregated there. And prior to 1963, uh, players couldn't even ride the same bus to spring training road games. Wow. Uh, some of the Twins players at that time the white players took the bus, and uh, the black players, guys like Mudcat Grant and Earl Batty, had to, uh, uh, in, in most instances, they said they just got a station wagon and hopped in the station wagon and rode separately. So that's the legacy with which we deal. Um, and here we are in 2020 still dealing with some of these issues. But uh, I think baseball uh, is taking it seriously. Uh, and I think most teams are speaking up uh, and saying we're not going to tolerate that type of uh, behavior, be it from um, a fan or anyone else. And, you know, your research is very interesting because you you think about, you know, when Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier, that that type of segregation was still going on yeah. within Major League Baseball for for that long afterwards. I know. It's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a little mind-boggling. I mean, this is in our lifetime uh, when this was happening. Um, you know, the Twins, the white players for years stood at, uh, stayed at the old Cherry Plaza Hotel, you know, right down by Lake Eola uh, for many years. And uh, the, the uh, black players stayed elsewhere. A couple of years they stayed at the, uh, the old uh, Hotel Sandler over on West Church Street. And then by about 1965, the, the uh, Cherry Plaza became fully integrated and everybody stayed there. And then in later years, I know the Twins uh, had the uh, the old Harley Hotel up on the uh, the west side of Lake Eola as their spring training base, but this kind of thing was not all that long ago no. uh, in our lifetime, and we're not that ancient. At least I don't think not yet. No, but you definitely are talking about you know uh, times that were you know very uh, you know you, you, I'm struggling to find the words actually uh, explosive times. Uh, when you when you look at what yeah. led up to everything in 1968, and you know you yep. kind of see and you and you're seeing such a flare up right now, it is definitely you know hopefully you know there you know a lot of change took place back then, maybe yeah. not nearly enough, but uh, maybe a lot of great change will take place now. Yeah, Pro- progress you know takes place in fits and starts, and right now we're going through one of those 
period. So hopefully we'll see some silver linings from this when all is said and done. I'm, I'm confident that we will. Yeah. Um, when we look back at it. Well, when you mentioned Tinker Field, of course, you know, we have so many memories there of, of the of the Orlando Twins and and the players that went on to become uh, big leaguers with the with the Minnesota Twins. Uh, I always relish uh, a lot of those memories there, and uh, I actually have a couple of the stadium seats from. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I remember from, you telling me that from, that, from Tinker cool. Field, and uh, it's interesting because uh, uh, you know I, I refurbed them because you know they, by the time you know Tinker Field came to a close, it was a complete uh, complete shambles. Uh-huh. You know, in the in the in the, <laughs> yeah. in, the, in, the in, in you buy you, you were able to buy stadium chairs, and they are in you know basic, basically in pairs. And uh, I did refurb them, but I didn't like refurb them to be, you know, glossy, shiny, and new. I refurb them enough and, you know, put a little paint on. I wanted to kind of, you know, maintain a lot of the uh, authenticity of it, you know, just kind of. Yeah, because, because let's face it, Tinker Field was never a, a pristine palace, even in the <laughs> best of times. No, no, it, it was not. Uh, but uh, yeah, but we, had some, we had some good times there. Yeah. Um, Sure, and saw some great players. Yeah, if you know, you, not just with the there. Twins, but with all the other minor league systems that uh, that played their games here as well. And it was, all, and you know, it was a sad day when spring training moved out of Tinkerfield. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was that was quite a few years ago. Yes, it um, was. And it, which is why we go down to uh, Fort Myers every spring now to see the Twins and Red Sox and perhaps some other teams. Of course, no live baseball right now. Here we sit reminiscing, Jess, Jeff, about uh, some of these old games. And uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I've, I've taken advantage of some of the classic games of old, which are now yep. available either on uh, YouTube or through MLB TV. And anybody now can get MLB TV and watch any game from, I think, the past two seasons. Mm-hmm. And, and YouTube has something called the MLB Vault, where they've loaded up some of the best games from each franchise for fans of that particular team to be able to go in and look and look at uh, some classic games. Of course, um, you know, I, I always gravitate to the date October 27th, 1991. Yes. Uh, <laughs> game seven, um, Jack Morris, John Smoltz, I, you know, I never grow tired of that game i'm sure you do no but, no actually um, i don't because you know i look at that i i look at that uh you know that season i almost look look upon as uh as the one of the holy grails of braves history because it was such a dramatic turnaround and really started such a great run for them um oh yeah it, 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 a long, long run probably a long <laughs> probably a longer run than any team I've seen, yeah, and, uh, in, in a long time, yeah, and so I always look back at that '91 ser- series and still am very proud of the Braves. And uh, it was a classic series, and the, the, you couldn't have asked for a more dramatic Game Seven. Um, you know, Jack Morris going ten innings was, just, you know, I mean, you just have yeah. to tip your hat to the guy because, uh, you know, he he and John Smoltz went head to t- head to head and. Uh, weren't given an inch, and it was a a, a tremendous game and a, a tremendous series. And you know, I, I again, I always I always go back to that image of, uh, yeah. of Brian Harper and Lonnie Smith shaking hands. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was that was incredible. Yeah, now, now you had a lot to cheer about by the next several seasons, and of course, the, the Braves won it all in '95. And I know the um, Game Six of the '95 series is up on YouTube, which I saw a quick glimpse of the other day. Uh, Tom Glavin beating the Indians and and uh, one of the more exciting uh, Brave games I can remember was actually and you, well you, you're the Braves expert here but in 92 <laughs> in that uh, game seven where um, in the playoffs when where they, uh, Cabrera hit that uh, walk-off single yeah run walk-off single and uh, you want to give me your best uh, what, you, um, you know skip carry <laughs> <laughs> all of that you know, I, I I do I do a pretty good skip carry, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and actually, when I I, I, t- I tell you what that that uh, victory over the Pirates in '92, you know, and of all people, Francisco Cabrera uh, coming up with, with with such a key hit, 
and Sid Bream, you know, just lumbering. Oh my. Uh, it, yeah, it's like, is he ever going to make it to home plate? It was like he was running in yes. quick. Is he running in quicksand? Oh my! Um, my goodness! But, but uh, you know, yeah. and, and I vividly recall when I was watching that game, and uh, this has nothing to do with being superstitious at all. Uh, I I was standing. Uh, I had been sitting on the couch watching most of the game, and I was standing at that point, and I would not sit back down. <laughs> during that during that rally, so it, it was. No, a, I, that that definitely sounds like something I would do. Yeah, uh, that's not superstitious. That's just getting in the zone. Let's say doing what uh, you can for the team. You know, it's all about. It's it, all about. It is, yes, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Doing doing our part to will them to victory. Yes, and uh, uh, which is what we do. Yes, and I did, but, and and I did have the. And speaking of Skip Carey, I did have the audio of that on my answering machine. You remember one of those? Uh, I, you know, I, Jeff, I think I, did, I had forgotten about that. Uh, we've known each other a while. I do remember. I, I think probably having called your number a couple of times and thinking, wow, that is pretty cool. Braves win. Braves win. Braves win. Skip, don't have a heart attack. Okay, Braves win, right? Yes. Def- <laughs> definitely, definitely one of my cherished um, uh, yeah. memories as far as that yeah. concern. Well, yeah. well, I know you've also, uh, you know, with all these classic games, uh, going on i've I've taken in my share of those um i know you've also of uh you're a kind of guy who likes to read and do research and and things like that and uh we were chatting uh briefly before uh starting our 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 show segment here that uh uh, you've unearthed some interesting trivia well yeah baseball lends itself to that jeff i mean i you know we could follow this game for a lifetime and continue to learn things Yep. Uh, every 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 season, and that's the that's the beauty of the game. But I remember a, a particular one game accomplishment as a as, as a kid. I remember this. Uh, there was a, um, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll tee it up this way. Um, it's only happened once in baseball history, and the accomplishment was as follows: uh, a pitcher threw a no hitter, missed a perfect game by giving up only a single walk, but threw a no-hitter and also hit two home runs in the same game, accounting for all of his team's runs. Hmm. Now, throwing a no-hitter is not very commonplace. A pitcher hitting two home runs in a game is not very commonplace, but to do it together in a single game, to me, as I thought of it then and as I think of it now, was a phenomenal single-game accomplishment. Hmm. And of course, the question is, who was it? Hmm. You name the pitcher uh, who threw a no hitter and hit two home runs in the same ball game. Hmm. Now, oh, you, you know, like a, 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 a name like see. a name like Warren Spawn comes to mind. Um, but that Good would be guess, but that would be too easy. No, there have been there have been a few instances of pitchers throwing a no hitter and hitting one home run in a game, yeah. but only once has a pitcher actually thrown the no-hitter and hit two home runs in the same game. National League, mm-hmm. 1971. 1971. Robin Roberts? Not Robin Roberts. Mm. Although this pitcher at the time was playing for the Phillies. Steve Carlton? Great guess, but not Oh. Not the lefty, not the great Hall of Fame lefty. Okay. This pitcher would later play in the American League with, I believe, the Indians and also appeared in the World Series with the Red Sox near the end of his career. Hmm. And I believe was pitching um, in the great uh, classic game in which the Carlton Fisk home run uh, beat Beat Cincinnati in that Dennis uh, game six Den- of that World is Series. Is it Dennis Eckersley? Eckersley? No. No. Okay. Uh, I am totally stumped. <laughs> well, it was Rick Wise. Rick Wise. Rick Wise. Oh, wow. Yeah, if you can believe that. Okay. And, he, um, you know, he was a pretty solid pitcher. Uh, he was. Yeah. And he, he, he came close to pitching no-hitters several times. But on one summer night in 1971 against the Reds, threw a no-hitter. Lost the perfect game by giving up a walk in the sixth inning. Otherwise, faced the minimum. So he faced 28 batters in that game and hit a two-run homer and a solo shot 
in a three nothing victory. Yeah. And I often wondered at the end of the game, he comes in and says, "Geez, do I have to do it all?" <laughs> <laughs> well, and that, on that night, he did. Yes, he could sue. Well, that actually brings a, a skip carry line to mind uh, that he wanted to sue his teammates for non-support. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he could have, he could have that. Time. But yeah, I, I, for me, I, I don't. You know, you hear about that accomplishment occasionally, but that that's one of those things that I don't hear talked about as often. And I've always thought that was like an incredible um, a feat yeah. to, to see a pitcher do that. No question. All in one game. No question about that. And it, and if we go all DH, that'll never happen again. Well, it won't. It won't. Um, I remember Rick Wise would have swung a pretty good bat, and he was a pretty good hitting uh, pitcher, but uh, still two home runs and throwing a no-hitter in one game. Yeah, pretty amazing. Yeah. I also I also checked it, Jeff, also on this issue of trivia. I also checked into um, uh, rare rare plays in baseball, things that you don't see happen too often. And, and my question was, which is the uh, rarer uh, accomplishment to see in a game, to see a perfect game, or to see an unassisted triple play, which has been the uh, rarer of the two in Major League history. Rarely do we see either, obviously. I would, but I would go with the unassisted triple play. Yeah, yeah, but not by much. There's been um, fifteen unassisted triple plays. In Major League history, the most recent was in 2009. Uh, but there's been 23 perfect games, and I believe the most recent was with uh, Felix Hernandez with uh, Seattle back in 2012, if, if my data is correct. But, but yeah, the unassisted triple play, only 15 times in Major League history. And only once has a team turned two triple plays, not unassisted, but only once has a team turned two triple plays in the same game. And uh, that was uh, the Twins doing that against the Red Sox in 1990. Oh, okay. So it wasn't yep. Tinker's Evers to chance on that. <laughs> not Tinker's Evers to chance, although they had their fair share, I'm sure. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty incredible. And I can, I think I may have, may have seen a triple play on TV, maybe once or twice. Doesn't happen very often. I, and I don't know that I've ever seen it in person. You know, we, we've gone to our fair share of games over the years. No, especially I'm spring training. Never in person. I don't know that I've ever seen a, a triple play in person. And I know I haven't seen a, a perfect game or even a no hitter for that matter. <laughs> no, I have no, I have not, I've, I have seen none of the above <laughs> in person. I, I have seen home. Home, uh, a uh, runner on third steal home. I saw um, that happen in a Red Sox twin spring training game. Jacoby Ellsbury stole home against the Twins some years ago. Oh. Um, yeah, the yeah. element of surprise, and I think everybody in the stands was was looking the other way when it happened as well, and that's probably why it worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I've <laughs> I've never seen anybody steal home either uh, in person. Uh, I don't think I don't think I, I've even ever seen that on television. To be honest with you. Now, Jeff, I don't know how much time we have left, but um, uh, whether we we got we all the time, time we got time. we got plenty of time. Okay, so um, one of the, the rare oddities that I came across is purely a hypothetical situation. We've we've talked about the unassisted triple play, which is very rare, but the the great political columnist, conservative commentator George Will, who's a a, a walking encyclopedia of baseball, huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cubs fan, uh, came up with a hypothetical way that you could have something that he called the unfielded triple play, the way that a triple play could occur with no fielder even touching the ball. Hmm. You sitting down for this one? Don't, don't <laughs> yeah. be standing up on this one. <laughs> but let, let me lay this out for okay. you. And only in baseball could we be having this conversation. Yep. Um, runners on first and second no outs, which is a typical, you know, situation when you have triple plays. Mm-hmm. First and second, nobody out. The batter hits an infield fly. So the infield fly rule kicks in in this one. And so the batter is out. There's one out. Mm-hmm. The runner from first, perhaps the hit and run was on. Who knows? But the runner from first passes the runner from second. Ah. Probably a base running blunder by the guy on first, oblivious to what was going on. But in any event, the runner from first passes the runner from second. 
and is called out for that. You can't pass the runner ahead of you. Mm-hmm. Two outs. Just after that, the falling ball, must have been a pretty high pop-up, the falling ball comes back down and hits the runner from second before he is able to make it back to second base. And so that runner is called out for interference. <laughs> Three outs. <laughs> <laughs> and not a nary a single fielder touched the ball. And I trust that. and I trust has never happened. <laughs> well, not in the major leagues, although in my research it says Texas League Hall of Famer Keith Bodie told the sporting news once in an interview that he had seen this very event occur in a nineteen eighty six spring training game. I haven't been able to verify the authenticity of that. But he claims that something like that actually did happen. But certainly it's never happened during a uh, regular season major league game. But yeah. Hypothetically, for, hypothetically it could happen. Wow. So for the for for the ball to actually have hit the runner, that would have to, you know, again, you said that has to be a really high pop fly, and the runner on first would have to be really, really fast. Really, really fast. Had a huge lead. A hit and run was on. And, yeah. So how plausible it is, perhaps not much, but hypothetically, one could say, yeah, okay, under the rules, something like that, perhaps, could, could happen. Yes. But I doubt that we'll ever see it. And but there's, a rule, there's, a, there's actually a, a, a section of the Major League Rulebook that assigns guidance for the official score in a play like that. How, how do you decide who gets credit for the putout and, and so forth? And there's a section in the rule book that accounts for that. You basically <laughs> give the put out to, on the pop fly to whichever player should have caught the ball or would have caught the ball. And then you give the put out to the infielder who was nearest to the base runner when he made his base running blunder. <laughs> so <laughs> That's a <laughs> Boy, if you ever, if you ever saw a scorecard score with that, that would be pretty, pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah only you, in baseball would, would you see something like that. Yeah, you you have dug some deep research. Do you have any more? Yeah, that's great. That's yeah, great. It's fun. It's fun. <laughs> got a little got a little free time on my hands this summer to dig into this stuff. Yeah, right? no question. Is is it? Do you have any more? <laughs> well, let's see. Um, nothing quite that complicated. Um, which major league player holds the record for grounding into the most triple plays in a career? <laughs> oh goodness! Obviously, uh, with someone who was slow afoot. I was going to say probably a catcher, right? <laughs> uh, not not a catcher. Actually, a third baseman, a Hall of Fame third baseman, and in our generation, had his greatest seasons of, through the mid '60s through uh, the 1970s. Hmm. Phenomenal fielding third baseman. Phenomenal fielding third baseman. American League. American League. Brooks Robinson? Brooks Robinson. Mm. Yep, exactly. Okay. And he, he hit into four triple plays during his career, and nobody can top that. Oh, man. That's a that's a lot of – that's probably some heavy kangaroo court finds there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he hit into two triple plays in, uh, in a season one time, about four on his career. Now, <laughs> let me ask you this. Let's switch over to perfect games for a minute. How many times have – or maybe just no hitters in general, but how many times have we tuned in and we get an alert uh, on our MLB app that says, no, no, in progress. You know, we tune in and, and somebody's throwing a no hitter. They take it into the ninth inning, two outs in the ninth inning. Let's say it's a perfect game, mm-hmm. two outs, ninth inning. They've got one more batter to put down the 27th batter. How often do you think they lose that perfect game with two outs in the ninth? I would say probably, Eighty percent of the time. Eighty percent of the time. It, it probably seems it's not quite that high, but it, it is pretty high. Okay. Um, there have been twenty-three perfect games in Major League history. Thirteen times players or pitchers have taken a perfect game down to the very last batter, two out in the ninth, only to lose it. Which, doing a little quick math here, that means thirty-six times a perfect game has been on the line with two outs in the ninth. And over a third of the time, the pitcher has blown it on that last batter. Wow. So 13 out of 36. So it would be interesting to look at, um, you know, some some stats over when, when does that perfect game get lost? Does the, you know, does the percentage go up or down as the further into the game you get? 
Yeah, no, what conclusions it, might you draw from that? No, I can just recall many a times I've seen it where where the 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 you know one out away that that last yeah. batter breaks it up. It's it's it. Yeah, it, I mean that's that's almost the expectation, isn't it? Yeah, we'll tune in and we're thinking, yeah, okay, he's down to one out to go, two outs to go, and I'm thinking, yeah, but somebody's going to get a hit and and break this thing up, and it seems like. More times than not, that's exactly what happens. Has anybody it may done, not be quite as high as we think, but it, but it still happens quite a bit. Has anybody done that as the last potential out with a bunt? <laughs> uh, no one who's still living. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a certain rule, Jeff. That's, <laughs> that's what I figured. That was one of the unwritten. So that you had to, had yeah, you don't <laughs> lay down a bunt. I can't imagine. Yeah, that's a great question. But the, you, you would probably see uh, some fisticuffs yeah. um, before that one um, was over. I, I posted on my uh, Facebook page not long ago, a uh, speak, speaking of brouhaha's, the, the great blow up between, I think it was the, I think it was the Cubs and the Reds back, might have been sometime in the 80s, where uh, there was a great debate over whether a, a baseball had curved foul down the left field line and was therefore a foul ball or whether it was a home run and the ump called it a home run at first and then the the the, the crew got together and reversed the call and this was the, the game where mario soto uh just went ballistic and don zimmer got involved in it and it took about a half hour to to uh, clear the field and um I'm thinking, wow, that was <laughs> a little extra entertainment that day. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I always, I always, I always think of uh, the uh, the 1984 brawl game between the Braves and the Padres as a uh, Braves and the Padres. Yeah, that was yeah. the uh, the, the Pasquale Perez uh, uh, situation where he had plunked somebody. I believe it was Alan Wiggins, and then the Padres pitchers kept uh, throwing at uh, at Pasquale Perez. And things just blew up. I mean, it was like powder keg. And that was that was in Atlanta, right? That was yeah. in Atlanta, and uh, I, th- I think I was watching that day. Yes, yeah, we used to watch a lot of the Brave games on TBS. But yeah, I think I recall. Yes, and uh, and and part of that was you know that wasn't that wasn't long after you remember Pascal Perez had you know uh, missed a start because he got lost trying to get to the stadium. Uh, <laughs> I it wasn't that. it wasn't very long after that, so. Uh, he was already a lightning rod of a, of a figure as it was, my and then Pasquale Perez. Yeah. Yes, and then my lasting memory of of, of that is is that uh, uh, Ed Whitson of the Padres. Uh, he was one of the pitchers that was ejected for throwing at Perez, and as things got more and more heated uh, as the the game went on. Uh, I get evidently Ed Whitson looked like he had gone to the clubhouse and knocked a few back. Because uh, he, he he had his shirt off, and in one flare-up, he decides he's going to run to the Braves' dugout after Pascual Perez, and he's you know he looks like you know he looks like you know Jack Nicholson in The Shining, and unbeknownst to him, one Bob Horner who was on the injured list with a broken wrist had had started watching. Actually, when the game started, was watching the game up in the up in the the the. The box club area. Right, yeah. And I guess his game was on. He decided, well, I'm going to go put my uniform on and be down with my teammates. So as Ed Whitson is barreling towards the dugout, Bob Horner steps up to the step, and Ed Whitson stops in his tracks. Wow. <laughs> this, this is better than any championship wrestling from Florida uh, experience I ever had. <laughs> what, what you described there. Yeah, it was... Yeah, it, and, it was crazy, yeah. and that, that game took yeah. forever to play. Tempers are hot, and it gets hot in Atlanta in the summertime. Yes. And, uh, boy, everybody was ready to just to un- unleash, it sounds like. Yes. Well, before I let you go, I did want to bring up one thing. Uh, speaking of Facebook posts, um, you know, uh, uh, not only are you a former radio colleague, uh, you uh, actually have a law degree, which I'm not sure how many people know that. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, University of Florida. And uh, yep, still have it. And and, uh, and yeah. I guess and I guess uh, you're going to put that uh, to use uh, now that um, um, you have decided to uh, <laughs> to follow the lead of uh, one certain uh, political figure 
in uh, in demanding well, I, a retraction. Yeah, I am I am um, thinking about drafting and preparing a cease and desist order and serving that on ESPN to remove poll data, statistical data, which I believe to be flawed, <laughs> which has the Florida Gators trailing the Georgia Bulldogs in the preseason top 25 2020 power index. <laughs> I, I think uh, everybody in Gator Nation is owed an apology uh, and that ESPN needs to get their act together. Well, you know, I if there is one cease and desist letter I would like you to give to ESPN, <laughs> I do have one. And that would be okay. that would be that uh, that uh, whenever their announcers are calling a football game, they're uh, especially in the G five that they are not allowed to spend five minutes talking about something, some other game coming up when we're trying to watch the game we're watching. That would be the cease and desist I'd want you to submit. <laughs> cease and desist from all annoying habits, including the ones mentioned here and, and elsewhere. Um, <laughs> that would, <laughs> and you realize, Jeff, I'm, I'm, you know, we're being totally satirical right now, yes, although the, perhaps not totally. Yeah, the uh, tongue firmly. a bit of satire going yes, on here. Yes, the tongue firmly planted in cheek. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but well, that did kind of rub me the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, so, well, I, yeah, I kind of, I kind of get that. I kind of get that. Well, Joe, this has been a lot of fun. I uh, appreciate you bringing all that great trivia to the table. That was, uh, that was outstanding. That was outstanding. So yeah, we'll we'll have to do another trivia segment. That's uh that's uh, I'll, yeah, I'll, that's a good idea. I'll crack. There's no, there, you know, we could do trivia all day long and never run out of material. Yeah, maybe we'll come up with a thing where I come up with uh five questions and you come up with five we will there you go we'll, we'll do something along that line that could be that could be a whole lot of fun well joe absolutely well thanks uh, again for being on and a continued uh, good health to you and your family and uh we will do this again soon and you as well jeff take care and we will be back with a tv tune for you to close out the show right after this Five reasons why you should listen to or advertise with Captain and Company in the morning. One, just under four decades of professional broadcasting experience. AM, FM, online. Two, programming music you listened to before you settled down and started a family. Three, live every weekday morning just as reliable as your automobile. Four, no spin doctor here. I just can't fix stupid. Five, if you got this far, please go back to reason number one. Weekday mornings right here on your favorite online station. Our primary objective is to keep the groove. I got beef. Oldschool101.com. Forget about it. Today's TV tune from Diagnosis Murder, starring Dick Van Dyke in the 1990s, ran 1993 to 2001 on CBS, a show about a high-profile doctor who solves murder and mystery with his son, who is a police officer. Dick Van Dyke played Dr. Mark Sloan. Barry Van Dyke, his real-life son, played his son on the TV show as well as Steve Sloan. Get an LAPD detective. And, of course, he gets uh, helps from his medical sidekicks. Dr. Amanda Bentley, played by the lovely Victoria Rowell, who also at the same time was a daytime television star on The Young and the Restless and 
was doing both shows at the same time. In fact, they even had an episode where she played both characters as they had uh, were trying to solve a mystery on Y&R in the soap business, and she played both parts on the same show. Of course, Scott Bayo had um, started off on the first two seasons as a young doctor who helped out. And uh, he left for Greener Pastures. So Charlie Schlatter, played Dr. Jesse Travis, took took the role. Different character, but took the role and played it out the remaining seasons. And boy, Charlie Schlatter... He rocked hair in the nineties like, <laughs> like, like no other. He had a, had 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 great hair hair follicles there. So anyway, the the amazing thing at Community General Hospital, and why do I know all about this? Well, you know, I've been watching Diagnosis Murder reruns on Hallmark Movies and Mysteries during this time of seclusion, <laughs> and actually, it started watching. Uh, they run a four, four-hour block uh, each weekday. Started watching in season four, and now they've just uh, kicked in with the restart of season one. So this is why I know all about this show now. Um, I watched it here and there when it was on during the '90s, but uh, you don't really remember a lot of it. But the, the amazing thing about Community General Hospital, where Dr. Mark Sloan works, is boy, how do they have so much death going on at that hospital? <laughs> Without getting shut down, come on! All these all these murders would happen in his home, <laughs> at his place of work. Obviously, very far stretched, and the show was very campy. I mean, you know, Dick Van Dyke was able to bring some of his comedic chops to the program. A little bit of his dancing ability in earlier episodes. Diagnosis murder. Today's TV theme and TV memory lane walk, if you will. As always, we thank you for listening. Thanks again, uh, Joe Finger, for giving us a lot of uh, great baseball stuff. And uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to have to do another uh, trivia program. That is definitely in the works. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer Cell is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.